Hey y'all, this is the Christ Center Conversations Podcast, and I'm Shelby Stanfill. And I'm Kevin Stanfill. Each week, we come together and discuss the Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoy listening to this week's episode. Welcome everybody to the Book of Mormon Podcast. Thanks for joining us this week. We're here and we're excited to finish 2nd Nephi chapter 26. Oh, also, this is episode 49. Sorry, I forgot to say that in the beginning. But yeah, we're we're here and I think we're just going to get right back into where we left off, right? Yeah, so like last week, if I'm remembering correctly, it was talking about the the people the the descendants of Nephi and how the words that are written down in the Book of Mormon will cry from the earth, right? Cry from the dust, and like testify of the truthfulness of Jesus Christ, right? That familiar His, spirit, yeah. So that's what we ended on last time. And then now we're going coming back into verse nineteen is where it really starts when it talks about the Gentiles in the latter days. Right. Sorry, y'all. I had a yawn. I know you, I don't know if you could <laughs> no, hear it. No, I don't it, think it was audible. <laughs> but I definitely yawned. Um, so yeah, I guess at this point, Nephi is addressing the Gentile nation, correct? Um, and I think specifically, I mean, if you look at it from a historical standpoint, the descendants of Nephi Lehi, Laman, Lamuel, all of them. Mm-hmm. Those are the, um, uh, the the Native American people, or rather the people who were living in America when the European explorers, conquerors came. And so the Gentiles, to whom the Book of Mormon references, at least in this portion, or this chapter, it's addressing those Gentiles, the the people who are not of the house of Israel. Um, And we learn some things, or rather the Book of Mormon clarifies some things about those people. So apparently they were, they're prideful people. And in verse 20, says, and the Gentiles are lifted up in the pride of their eyes and have stumbled because of the greatness of their stumbling block that they have built up many churches. Nevertheless, they put down the power and miracles of God and preach up unto themselves their own wisdom and their own learning that they may get gain and grind upon the face of the poor. I drew a stark parallel to that statement and the sentiment of the prophet Joseph Smith um, when he described the religious groups of his day uh, Hmm. early in the 1820s or 1800s. I want to reference that in the Joseph Smith history found in the Pearl of Great Price, verse 19 in that history. He talks about after or during the first vision when he uh, is visited by heavenly father and Jesus Christ. 
and he inquires of them which church to join. That was his whole point of getting down to pray to see which church was was the right one because there were so many. I was answered that I must join none of them for they were all wrong. And the personage who addressed me said that all their creeds were an abomination in his sight, that those professors were all corrupt, that they draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They teach for doctrines, the commandments of men, having having a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. And that's like, I felt like that was so, so perfectly similar yeah. to Nephi's. And with that, I probably wouldn't have thought of this had you not shared it, but with that parallel that you just drew, um, I think about the power of our heart and our intention and how important that is. So if there's anything that we learn from here is that we, we don't want to be puffed up in our own pride and we don't want to reject um, or yeah, reject the miracles of Christ and you know all these things that Kevin just read. Um, we want to give credit to our Savior and we want to know that it's through him that we can do all things. And that really puts our heart in the right place, which reminds me of, I think we talked about it on conference talk about how the word heart, how many times it's used in the Book of Mormon. Elder Bednar's talk um, said it's used over like, I think over a thousand times. Oh yeah. Like a thousand times or something. And how important it is that our heart is, is right before God, because if not, we read more things that they were like um, in the continual verses, like 21, envying, strifes, malice, um, seek 22, secret combinations. Um, and I wanted to uh, actually talk about verse 22, um, that it teaches us something about Satan. It's not very often that we have like a an actual verse of scripture teaching us about Satan, if that makes sense. We're more learning about Jesus Christ. Right. But this one says... Um, I'll just start from the beginning. And there are also secret combinations, even in the times of old, according to the combinations of the devil. For he is the founder of all these things. Yea, the founder of murder and the works of darkness. Yea, and he leadeth them by the neck with the flax and cord until he bindeth them with his strong cords forever. So we really learn a lot about the, the nature of Satan here and um, how he is the founder of all these things. And, and it lists, you know, murder and darkness and, and a flax and cord. And I looked up the definition of flax and cord. And it, it says, it's a thin linen thread thread that is easily broken. So um, the fact that it's saying here that he bindeth them with his strong cords implies that he does it if it's so small at first that you could break it and it's no big deal, but the more and more and more that you um, are bound by Satan, I shouldn't say you being bound because you're technically letting him bound you, um, bind you, sorry. (laughs) Um, But the more and more that we are allow ourselves to be bound by him, the harder it is to break those cords. Um, But it doesn't mean it's impossible because we have our Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, but it it's something to be aware of, right? Right. How many flax and corns, cords are around you right now, right? What are those little tiny things that don't seem like such a big deal, but could be a big deal, right? So, yeah. Yeah, 100%. You know, something that, my, that I learned on, on my mission 
from my mission president was that, and, and I'm sure other people have learned this other places as well, um, is that Satan, since he has no body, he cannot control you. He doesn't act. He can't actually put make his hands on you and make you do things. He does have influence over you in as much as you yield to his enticings as opposed to the enticings of the Holy Ghost. Right. And so as, and I just love this imagery of a flaxen cord, which is so tiny and thin and breakable. And yet that's layered on and interwoven together again and again to form the strong cord. And then you're just like this pit in a pitiful state where you're like, how did I get here? Well, it was, it was step by step. You've made mistakes after mistakes after mistakes yielding to him and, and, you know, darkness and getting further and further away from the light. So just as Christ says by small and simple things, great things are brought to pass. I learned from this verse that Satan takes that concept of small and simple, but twist it for evil because he does it small and simple. Sometimes so much that you don't even notice until you ask your question, man, how did I get here? Yeah. Right. So Satan also works small and simple, but in a very not good way. <laughs> right. And, and if I may, you know, going forward, Nephi, he, he puts that in there that there's this, the, the, the devil does have power over you if you let him, but the, he contrasts the works of the Lord by saying that the Lord God worketh not in darkness. Mm -hmm. And he, he talks about um, the Lord loving the world and all the people, even so much that he layeth down his own life that he may draw all men unto him. And he says, wherefore he commandeth none that they shall not partake of his command of his salvation. And here, here's like where Nephi starts to kind of say these things that can be a little bit, I think, confusing because at first, you know, it does take a careful reading of these verses, but he starts to, he starts to show uh, the difference. And, and, and he also talks about how the Lord, he, his commandments are to invite people, um, all men to come unto him and none of his commandments, none of the things that he would have us do are works of darkness or things that would take us away from him or away from our families, anything like that. So I just think that there, that's a great little, uh, grading rubric, if you will, that you can say, okay, what am I doing? Is it, is it bringing to past good things? Is it bearing, you know, bearing good fruit or is it bad fruit? Is it leading me to do the wrong things? And it's so easy then to determine what the Lord would have you do. What, what is the spirit asking me to do as opposed to what would the devil have me do? Right. One of the biggest things I wrote down in the following verses, um, I wrote it down twice. I put, <laughs> love it, all are invited, was my note. Like, everybody is invited. 
Um, and then I wrote again, um, when I took notes and studied again, I put all are free, everyone is equal. Mm. And I quoted, or I put in parentheses, last part of verse 28, but we're not quite there yet. But I just, um, it just really hit me. I mean, he, our Savior Jesus Christ does nothing except it benefits the world, right? Uh, and so much that he laid down his own life for us. And he did that so that we could be free and equal um, and come and, and buy milk and honey without money and without price, right? Mm. These these beautiful imagery uh, uh, displayed here is, I mean, you can think of milk and honey as anything today that we need to survive, I would say. Uh, put it in there, <laughs> right? Like... I guess some, you know, some of it we actually do need to buy ourselves, but I'm just talking about like, you know, just the fact that the things of this world, eventually we don't take everything with us. We take what we know and our knowledge and our testimonies. And those are the things that we can get without price. We don't need any monetary value on those or anything. Those can come no matter who you are or where you are or what your life is like. Um, they're equal for everybody. Um, and I, I like the fact in 26 that he says, has he commanded anybody that they should go out of their synagogues and not, you know, and not worship? And he says, no, like he, he wants us to worship him and he wants us to partake of salvation. And in 27, it's the same thing, but he hath given it free for all men and he has commanded his people that they should persuade all men to repentance which is a beautiful doctrine, in my opinion, repentance, because it allows us to uh, do exactly what the Savior is inviting us to do here, right? Yeah, and then verse 28 really wraps it up, saying um, all men are privileged, the one like unto the other, and none are forbidden. There's no, there's no special class of people that he invites to come unto him. Meanwhile, you know, alienating or shunning another. I, and, and frankly, that's something uh, that the people in the Book of Mormon have a lot of trouble with. Right. Is creating like divisions among their people. Lots and of ites. Yeah, lots of ites. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, that's something that our society struggles with today as well. There's a great divide between people. And I had a professor one time in my social work class, and he said, everybody, he said, you never know the story of the person sitting next to you. And he said, everybody in this room, regardless of their story, um, is equal in the eyes of God. And it really hit me that it doesn't matter who is sitting next to me or what they've done or gone through. Obviously there's, you know, the unpartable, how do you say it? Unpartable, the abominable sin. I don't know. The unpardonable like, sin. Thank you. That, there, obviously Which is, there's that, but that's very, very rare for people to do. Right. Um, but everybody who I interact with in my life, God loves them just as much as he loves me. And he wants 
everything for them just as much as he wants everything for me. And so it's, it's really interesting when you start to look at people that way, because you stop like doing what the world does, which is create all manner of ites, you know, like there's just so many things that you can, you can overcome by looking at everybody that way. So, and remember that to the, the ite, like Nephite, Lamanite, so, you know, whatever that, what that really means is the follower of the person mentioned. So the follower of Nephi is a Nephite. The right. follower of Laman is a Lamanite. So the problem there is that there's a person who's being glorified or put up on a pedestal who's more important than anybody else and their ideals their teachings there's you know and of course we read that the nephites were largely at this time at least largely um holy and they were hearkening unto god and but there were times that they fell and then the lamanites were even more holy than they and so there was a lot of like a roller coaster situation going on but I think the reason that I, well, the reason that I brought that up is because in verse 29, it talks about priestcrafts and it's very, I think it's appropriate that Nephi brings up priestcrafts after he talks about that all men are privileged to be, uh, to be saved. Right. Because priestcrafts, he defines them as, um, well, he says, for behold, priestcrafts are that men preach and set themselves up for a light unto the world that they may get gain and praise of the world, but they seek not the welfare of Zion. And uh, furthermore, it says that the Lord has forbidden this thing. Wherefore, the Lord God has given a commandment that all men should have charity, which charity is love. And so, you know no one should put themselves up for a light rather they they need to acknowledge the lord as the light of the world and i think of um if you've ever seen a picture of a chandelier in a celestial room or just a, a chandelier in general um there's one light in the center and then there's many crystals that reflect that light and that's how i think we need to be because jesus christ is that light in the center and then we are the crystals around it that reflect his light. And so priestcraft would be you trying to build your own chandelier and your own light, and that's it, right? Um, or more, not to interrupt you, but yeah. maybe to be one of the crystals and tell all the other crystals around you, hey, this light, it's actually coming from me. Oh, I see. Yeah, true that. And at some points, if they want to, get, you know, that crystal wants to get gain, they say, give me your light you know, direct your light to me instead of acknowledging that it comes from Christ. And so um, I just love that analogy. I learned that from a missionary in the Mexico MTC, like an older senior couple. They taught it when we were on our way to the temple in uh, Mexico City, which is a beautiful temple. Really cool. But um, I think the charity also goes along with seeing others how we're all equal, right? 
um, charity is the one of the only, I think probably the only way that you can see somebody for sure equally. Um, because it, it is a pure love. Right. And I mean, Holy it's smokes, not, we could go, we could go a whole podcast and more about charity. Oh yeah, for sure. And we're going to get there. And in 31, it says, but the laborer in Zion shall labor for Zion for the laborer. I'm sorry, for if they labor for money, they shall perish. And that taught me that we don't, in the church, I mean, we don't really do anything to get paid and get money. Like, (laughs) I don't know of anybody that really does that. You know, maybe the, I mean, like LDS living, right? They sell magazines and things like that, but they're all, it's for the purpose of building up Zion, I feel like. It's not for the purpose of making themselves rich you know it's we want this knowledge to be imparted so for example even this podcast we're not doing it because we want to get paid we're just doing it because we want people to hear and have the book of mormon in their lives we want it to build up zion and and really we just want uh what's called a record for our children that's right (laughs) virtually so um i don't know it's just cool this is really cool to think about and it just goes back to what you were talking about with intent the the intention of the heart Right. The laborer in Zion is going to build up the kingdom of God and they may get temporal assistance via a paycheck. But if that's what they're doing it solely for, they may get a lot of money in this world. Oh, for sure. They'll make a great salary. You see it. Yeah. Today. Yeah. But ultimately they will perish is what's what it talks about i i love that i even put you and i were totally on the same wavelength there because in my notes in the margins next to verse 31 Uh i just have intent one word true that so that's cool um well anyway so you know verse 32 and 33 um beautiful beautiful verses that really counsel us you know, what not to do, and then how the the Lord is, he invites us to do better and, and improve. Uh, 32 is basically like condensed 10 commandments. Yeah, it really is. And then 33, it clarifies that none of these iniquities come of the Lord, right? Like, Which we already learned about in verse 22. In verse 22. Yeah, we know where they come from. Right. Very good point. Yep. yep. Um, and he he invited them all to come unto him and partake of his goodness, and he denieth none that come unto him, black and white, bond and free, male and female, and he remembereth the heathen, and all are alike unto God, both Jew and Gentile. And so, you know, it... This, this isn't to say that you can't you can't rebel and then be be smitten um, but there's no point at which you are cast off forever um, you can always turn back to him you can always get your life in order and that's that's the the blessing of the church being restored to be honest the the greatest blessing of the church being restored I think in our everyday life lives is that we have forgiveness 
that we can repent and be forgiven. You know, bigger picture, the greatest blessings of the restored gospel is the temple, the covenants we make there, which allow us to perpetuate our family relationships beyond the grave. So I love that you brought up the atonement because after I had studied for 26, a couple of times, I actually went into um, the Continuous Atonement book by Brad Wilcox. And I read that right after. And I tried to take what I learned with Brad Wilcox and apply it to the chapter. And so I wanted to explain that really quick. Okay. So he started off by saying the atonement is power to know, power to do, and power to be. And um, I wrote thought, dot, dot. And this was also a thought because of things I've read. So I'm also paraphrasing some of what Brad Wilcox said. But I said, the atonement is what sustains us, like a battery in a flashlight. And when that battery isn't there, we lose our potential to provide light or to grow. We must always acknowledge our need for a savior or a need for that battery to keep us going. When we acknowledge what we need from him, we then access the atonement, make it a part of our lives. The problem in 2 Nephi 26 is they depended on themselves and not God. They didn't see a need for God. And if they did, they chose to reject it. Therefore, the atonement, which is a gift, did not have they did not have batteries in it. Do they get to be resurrected? Yes, but they never put the batteries in the flashlight. So they never got to benefit from his atonement mm. through repentance, right? And changing. And so I really thought about that at the end of it because to me at the end, I just felt like Christ and these words are just saying, look, just come unto me and use the, this power, use the atonement to change and to repent and you will grow and become a wonderful, you know, you a different man in Christ or woman. So, yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. I never thought of using the analogy of like the atonement being the batteries and the flashlight as essentially what it kind of is. It, it does sustain us and give us power. So, yeah. Hmm. But yeah. So, I really appreciate your thoughts. And your, your studies. Um, so verse, uh, rather, chapter 26 of 2 Nephi, it's all talking about the things um, following the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but before the restoration of the gospel. And so that's a period of, you know, between, well, specifically, I guess it's around like 34, 35 AD to 1820. Okay. So these are the issues, like all of these things, although we see them reoccurring today in, in ways, all of these issues that are talked about in, in chapter 26 were the primary issues of the people on the earth in various locales uh, bef uh, before the restoration, before the Book of Mormon came forth. And so tw chapter 27 is all about 
you know, it, it again talks about the darkness and apostasy that exists in the last days um, leading up. And I mean, in a way, although the Book of Mormon has come forth, although the restoration has been going on for 200 years, there's still a great deal of darkness and apostasy all over the earth. Mm-hmm. It's being like chipped away at. It's being, you know, the flood of darkness is now being swept away by a flood of light. But there's still massive amounts of people engaging in priestcraft. There's tons of people who hold, you know, present themselves as a light, denying the power and the miracles of God. So some background about this chapter for me personally is that we had an investigator that we were teaching uh, named Edward, and he he knows this, and so I, I can talk about it. <laughs> and this is not Edward who, Edward Vissoni. Oh, this yeah. is no. Shelby's investigator. And, Edward and Corpus Christi. Yeah. Yeah, he's like my grandpa. But um, Edward's biggest thing, Ed, I'll call him Ed, his biggest thing, uh, I shouldn't say biggest thing, uh, what's it like? obstacle to overcome or couldn't understand or when he was learning about the gospel. I don't want to say hurdle. Yeah, a hurdle. hurdle. That's a really go. good one. Was the fact that there were so many churches and so many people set themselves up to look good, but like how do I actually know? And all these things. And I really wanted Ed to understand. I I wanted cuz I knew, I knew why, right? And I was, I was studying for him one day, um, and I just asked Heavenly Father, I said, how do I help Ed understand why all this is the way it is today? And I was directed to 2 Nephi 27. That was the thought that came to my head all the way through, like, 2 Nephi 32, I think it was. Actually, probably to the end of this. Yeah, all the way, all the way in. So the entire rest of 2 Nephi. But it started with chapter 27, and I we went to Ed's house, and I'm reading it, or when I'm reading it in my studies, it was just like, this is what Ed needs to hear, and I hope it makes sense in his head. So we went over, and we invited him to read the rest of 2 Nephi, 27 and on. And it was after that, it was after reading the rest of 2 Nephi 27 and on, that he committed to be baptized. And I knew that his his doubt had been solved through the scriptures. And so this to me holds this chapters, these next chapters that will be in hold like a really special place in my heart um, because it it literally these words help somebody come unto Christ and I got to see it happen. And so I'm excited to talk about them because they're sometimes they're not the happiest because we are talking about darkness and apostasy. Um, but we understand the role that it plays in leading up to today and why it was necessary and, and how that affected us today. So I just had to throw that in there because it it really is cool if you want, if someone doesn't understand why I, I always started recommending these chapters for them because it was right there in the, in the, in the Book of Mormon. <laughs> so I just had to share that before we begin talking. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. It's also important to know that this chapter is, it says compare with Isaiah 29, 
dun 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 <laughs> right no. the it's more of a paraphrased like version uh, an enhanced version of isaiah chapter 29 mm-hmm. and so it doesn't have the same like deeply steeped uh in symbolic uh anecdotes and things like that it's it's a little bit more clear and so um it's pretty cool pretty cool where where to really begin though um (laughs) yeah i don't really know because there is a lot um in the student manual for 27 um I, it, it begins by saying that, you know, Nephi was quoting Isaiah's writings um, and it reveals important prophecies of the restoration. Um, I don't really know where to begin, Kev. I mean, there's just, it's so good. <laughs> where do you start? Right? Well, maybe. First, I'm sorry, you go. Oh, well, first and foremost, I mean, it's really cool that in the previous book, in the previous chapter, it talks about that, that familiar spirit, that voice from the dust that persuades, that convinces both Jew and Gentile of the divinity of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, this, um, this chapter is all about the coming forth of the Book of Mormon, the impact that it has on the world. And I mean, we've, we've talked about it before, um, but just to kind of give you a rundown of the chapter, as it says in, in, in the student manual. Mm-hmm. So there's a latter day context of the prophecy, which is in verse one. So behold, in the last days or in the days of the Gentiles, because let's be honest, the Gentiles who are people not of the house of Israel, they have a large uh, influence over the world, both in 1820, just like today, like the United States of America is a Gentile nation. Yeah. China is a Gentile nation, right? Russia is a Gentile nation, right? They have, this is the days of the Gentiles. Okay. Yea, behold, all the nations of the Gentiles and also the Jews, both those who shall come upon this land being the American continent and those who shall be upon other lands, the whole world. Yea, even upon all the lands of the earth, behold, they shall be or they will be drunken with iniquity and all manner of abominations. So that's kind of like the why. Why did there need to be a restoration? And why is the Book of Mormon a key in bringing forth the restoration of all things? Right. I was going to just talk about what Elder, um, I believe that's called. Yeah. Boy K. Packer said about drunken with iniquity. Yeah, I know this. I know what you're going to read, and it's pretty intense. At first, I I questioned it. I was like, is that true? Well, can I read it? Yes. Okay, he says, 
I know of nothing in the history of the church or in the history of the world to compare with our present circumstances. Nothing happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, which exceeds in wickedness and depravity, depravity that which surrounds us now. Words of profanity, vulgarity, and blasphemy are heard everywhere. Unspeakable wickedness and perversion were once hidden in dark places. Now they are in the open, even accorded legal protection. At Sodom and Gomorrah, these things were localized. Now they are spread across the world, and they are among us. Now, I'm going to give one example that I see of this, just one, of what Boyd K. Packer said. And to me, that is music. I see the vulgarity and the things that people say in music nowadays that is acceptable for people to listen to today in the eyes of the world is disgusting. It's repulsive. And I don't know how people, I don't know. It just, it's disgusting. <laughs> it is right now, like that's what he's talking about in being drunken with iniquity and abominations. And the only way that we can know, or I can even say that's disgusting is because I know what it feels like to have the spirit with me and to feel clean, I guess, right, in a world that's filled with this. And so it's just very interesting because that, that's happening today. In any military conquest, the enemy wants control of the airways. It wants the control of the audio media, hmm. you know, media with regard to television. I mean, you can, you can look at something and discern, but there's something about things that go straight into your ears that you don't really have time to distinguish right from wrong. And because there's no other context, it has a really, really strong impact on your thinking. And so if you're listening to things all day long, it's going to have a huge impact on what you think, what you then say, and what you believe and do. And I bring this up because I don't, I'm not saying that I hate this app, but the app TikTok has uh, words or things on it that are not appropriate. And when you're constantly scrolling through an app all day and you're hearing these things over and over and over, um, I mean, what you hear eventually becomes what you think. And then what you think becomes what you do. And what you do becomes what you become. My issue, and this is not going to become <clears throat> a podcast uh, defaming TikTok, but what I, what, what I don't like about those kind of apps, which are largely uh, based on, you know, you, you scroll or you go from one piece of content to the other, and it's just immediately like it just comes out of you. It's just vomits. It's loud. Right? It's loud. So when you turn it on, the first thing that happens is a video starts. Right. Anything could be happening in that video. Anything could be said at the very beginning of that video. There's no time to react or respond mm -hmm. other than to just change the channel or change the, the piece of content, scroll right. past it. At least on Facebook <laughs> um, and other things, it's already muted. So oh, as you scroll, yeah. 
you have to unmute something after you see it start playing to listen to it. That's very true. But with TikTok, I mean, it's in your face. It's in your face. And, and you know, that's, that's. And here's the thing. You could fill up your feed with great things and wholesome things. You can do that. You can. It is possible. It is possible. There's lots of home renovations, all these things that are really cool that I enjoy. But you have to kind of wade through the filth to get there. Yeah. And if you are, if you're easily influenced or, you know, and, and why, why subject yourself? To it. And so that's just one of the things, to be honest, from this quote of Elder Packard that I've seen. And that's one example. Okay. There's many examples mm-hmm. that we could give, but sorry to spend so much time on verse one. <laughs> well, I, but really it's verses one through four, maybe five. Um, let me read verse five, actually. Okay. And this is, we'll, we'll kind of wind down from here and then we'll, we'll finish out the rest of this chapter next week. But in verse five, it says, for behold, the Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep. For behold, you have closed your eyes and you have rejected the prophets and your rulers and the seers hath he covered because of your iniquity. So isn't it interesting that as you reject the prophets, as you reject the message of the restored gospel, this is in a way you're being lulled to sleep. Mm. When you're asleep, you can't act. Right. You're really being acted upon in your sleep. And this is the result of wickedness. It's the result of worldliness. And that's kind of the state of the world. Um, before the restoration began and there the 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 mission of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints is to wake up the world and to um to get people on the covenant path which is going to lead them back to live with jesus christ and heavenly father yeah and all of all of one another as families this is my closing thought okay um and I'm going to use a comparison of a movie real okay. quick. Um, but it's the movie uh, Greatest Showman. And it's the song. What is it? Oh, the the bearded lady sings it. I'm not a stranger to the dark. Hide away. I'll, I'll find the lyrics. Yeah, I definitely am not going to be able to help you on this one. Um, yeah, sorry. I should have brought it up. Okay, it's called This Is Me. Um, and something that I want to add that you just said, Kevin, about the Book of Mormon will wake everybody up, right, from this sleep. She says in the lyrics that in her, I just love this song. Anyway, sorry, I just love it because she's talking about being uh, put down and basically kind of in a sense put to sleep, like no one's acknowledging me and and I am here and I am me and and this is me, right? And she says, when the sharpest words wanna cut me down, I'm gonna send a flood, gonna drown them out. And I thought about right now, like when, when things try to make you sleep or try to cut you down, 
um, you are going to send a flood and you're going to drown them out. Or in other words, you are going to send the Book of Mormon to flood the earth to drown out this noise, the loud noise, right? And the loud things that pop out at us on our phones and, you know, whatever they are. And I love that because the Book of Mormon literally does that. And we could make a comparison to Revelation, actually, where it talks about the Book of Mormon being sent out like a flood. Um, and we won't go there, but it's very symbolic that it whispers and it's a flood and it drowns out these words because, as he, like I said with Ed, as soon as he read these things, even me reading these things about my testimony, I knew why why the world is the way it is. And it gives you some clar clarification and it gives you an internal perspective. And with that internal perspective, life becomes so much more bearable. It doesn't make it easier, but it does make life a little more bearable, right? A lady today in sacrament meeting shared her testimony and said, you know, when COVID-19 hit, I, I could have been panicked. But then I thought, you know, if, if I die, that's not the worst thing either because I get to be with my Heavenly Father. So I realized that that's probably why I'm, I've been so happy during the pandemic because I know that either way, something's going to happen and it's going to be good. <laughs> it may be hard to get there, but it'll be good. So anyway, those are my closing thoughts that we are, we are here in these last days to send out a flood of the restoration. And um, it's pretty, it's pretty awesome. And Joseph Smith began that when he prayed and was that instrument to start. So, yeah. Well, my concluding thought is to read verse six, which is where we're going to start next week. Chapter 27, second Nephi, verse six. And it shall come to pass that the Lord God shall bring forth unto you the words of a book. Ooh. And they, <laughs> yeah, right. And they shall be the words of them which have slumbered. And I, you know, when I read that in my studies this week, um, I thought, well, he's just start. He's just got done talking about a spirit of deep sleep, and he's talking about like, or in other the, words, the apostasy. Too. Yeah, the apostasy, right? And and yet the the words from the book will be the words of them which have slumbered. Now, of course, I know that he's talking about he's he's using the idea of slumbering as like being dead. Like so those who have died, i.e. the prophets in the, the and the and the apostles in the in the Book of Mormon times who wrote down their record. But isn't it interesting that he uses the same term of sleep as uh, being dead and also being like witless to the truth, like yeah. not, not, not able to be influenced by the spirit anymore. In other words, time has run out for certain people. Right. Right. And, uh, I believe that the greatest purpose of the book of Mormon is to give us more time to do the work that needs to be done while here on the earth. Mm 
it also gives those who are slumbering more time because as we convert ourselves, as we, as the membership, membership of the church grows, more temple work can be done. And so now those who have already passed on without receiving the truth, who even rejected it here on earth, they now have more time. They can have work done for them in the Holy Temple. And, uh, you know, maybe that's a, maybe that's all cobbled together very uh, hastily, but I know that the spirit will, will convey my intention and what, <laughs> what I really am trying to say there. Uh, I know that everything that we've talked about today is 100% true. Mm-hmm. And I say it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, y'all, we're going to be back next week. As, As always. always. Oh, you owe me a kiss. <laughs> I was going to say you owe me a Coke, but I'm not drinking soda. She ain't so. drinking sodas right now. Um, yeah, we'll be back with episode 50. That's Not right. Crazy. And we'll be in second ne- we'll finish second Nephi 27. So that's right. Definitely get after listening to the conference talk episodes because we're winding down. We're in the last session of conference before the new one. The new conference comes out. So exciting. Um yeah. If you are gonna listen to any conference talk episode. Listen to the most recent one, Hear Him by President Nelson. There was just something about that conversation that Kevin and I had about that talk that was just so good. And I haven't even went back and listened to it, but I would really invite you guys to listen to Hear Him. So, For sure. Yeah. All right, y'all. Well, have a great week, and we will talk to you next time. Bye. We hope you're enjoying the Christ-Centered Conversations podcast featuring the Book of Mormon. If you have any suggestions for the show, please message us on Facebook at Kevin or Shelby Stanfill. We also invite you to visit churchofjesuschrist.org for more information on the Book of Mormon and the restored gospel of Jesus Christ.